Welcome to the East Memorial Ministries podcast. This week, guest speaker Brad Pogue shares how Christians should rejoice always, pray in all circumstances, and be thankful in everything that their sovereign God ordains to happen in their lives. Let's listen together. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're in the, towards the end of the chapter as we uh, continue working through some various exhortations that Paul is giving the, the Thessalonian church. And, and we've, we've seen him uh, urge the Thessalonians to be steadfast, to remember that they are day people, they are people of the day, they are true believers. Again, based on what he has already talked about in the pre- preceding chapters uh, in regards to their faithfulness, the impact that they've had across all of Greece in, in spreading the gospel, um, that they... Uh, imitate Paul. They imitate Christ himself. They imitate these churches in Judea who are also undergoing persecution. In the various exhortations that he gave, he he exhorted them to be at peace with one another, uh, to look at how they are to act in regards to one another, to how they are to act uh, sheep to shepherds. And, you know, even though that they're a new church, undergoing persecution, they, they really only have these minor issues that they need to deal with. Again, he's pointing them to the fact and ensuring or helping them to understand that they are true believers. Now, as we get into <clears throat> verses 16, 17, and 18 in chapter 5, which is what we're going to focus on today, we see the focus shift a little bit. Uh, now, we've ta- he's talked about how they are to act amongst one another, um, we're, we're now going to see some commands that, that raises their focus up and, and how these believers are really to, to act and engage uh, in light of the Lord. And so let's read uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. About 10 years later, after Paul writes the letters to, to the Thessalonians, um, he, he writes a, basically a similar, there's a similar section in a letter that he writes to the Philippians. So let's look at Philippians chapter 4. And we'll start in, in verse 4, Philippians 4, 4. And again, we're going to compare this and overlay this with, with our subject passage in Thessalonians. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Again, this is another effective church that he's telling something very similar. Uh, in fact, the whole kind of the, the assembly of this passage is similar. Um, when we look at a, in a broader context of Philippians uh, chapter 4, um, look at verse, four, uh, verse 1. Paul exert, exhorts them to stand firm in the Lord. Again, Be sober, be alert, stand firm, be steadfast. 
And he tells them to live in peace with one another in the next uh, few verses, which is similar to what we see in the middle part of uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter chapter 5. Um, except in Philippians, what he names names, um, Yodia and Syntyche. Uh, he says, you, he, he highlights, if you keep, keep reading, they're believers, right? They're believers, but they're not living in harmony. But he tells them that they need to live in harmony and that others around them need to help them live in harmony and be at peace with one another. You know, layering these two passages passages together, we, we can see what is it that we rejoice in. We rejoice in the Lord always. Um, we, if we're true believers, we're able to do that. We rejoice in the God who is near. We live gentle lives. We live graciously and with humility we're aware that non-believers are watching us and judging whether or not we actually live out these commands, right? This, this, these are rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, in everything giving thanks. That's what believers do. And we say, we, we proclaim the gospel, but if we're not living this way, then, then the gospel can ring hollow. You know, and again, First Thessalonians, or, or sorry, uh, uh, Philippians 4, it tells us that we should be anxious for nothing. Again, that's combining the, our actions, our lives, and, and the words, because we know that, we've, that our God, not us, is in control. Right? We live in light of um, his sovereignty, of his providential care over us, and therefore we're not anxious. You know, when we petition, we pray to God as our Father, the one he, who we know adopted us through Christ as his children. And we have this persistent attitude of thankfulness in light of the fact that he's our father, in light of the fact that he sovereignly controls all things good and bad. Um, that enables us to be thankful in whatever he brings our way. And then in verse 7 here in uh, Philippians 4, you see the outcome. The outcome of actually living this out uh, and this obedience, um, which is we have the peace that surpasses understanding from God. Now, it's worth noting here, and I'll pause here to kind of to, to mention something. In, in the New American Standard translations, in both passages, it ends with the same three words, and that's in Christ Jesus. Um, this phrase is used many, many times throughout the New Testament. And it um, signifies or it points to a, a theological idea uh, that's, that's the, our union with Christ. Um, now, that's, this is a, a, something that we um, oftentimes don't really think about. We just see this and kind of this, these words and move on. We don't really think about this, this short little preposition. But it, that's actually a critical thing for, for Christians to understand is, is our union with Christ. Um, you can look in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 14, to see just a, a masterful explanation of this. Um, it's a little outside the scope of what we're going to look at today, but, but for our purposes today, in Christ Jesus equals those who are saved, right? You are, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are a true believer. Uh, and, and therefore, obviously, if you're out of Christ, then you are, you are lost, you're not a believer. 
So what Paul says in these passages about rejoicing, about praying, about being thankful in everything is only applicable to believers. Lost people cannot do this. Um, if a person is not united with Christ, they, they remain in darkness. Um, the joy that they have or they profess to have is circumstantial at best. It's selfish. It's not the sanctified joy that's the fruit of the Spirit. You know, worldly joy, we know this, right, in our own experience. Worldly joy and whatever it is that we see around the world is here today and gone tomorrow. These folks may, lost people it is, people that are outside of Christ, may actually endeavor to pray regularly. Uh, many, many people claim that they are Christians. They profess to be believers in Christ and regularly attempt to pray. But if they are not in Christ, then God does not hear their prayers. In fact, the Bible says, unlike first, uh, Philippians 4, where it says, for believers, in Christ God is near, the Bible repeatedly says that if you are not, if you are not saved, if you are not a child of God, then God is far from you. and He doesn't listen to your prayers. It's also impossible for those outside of Christ to give thanks and everything. Again, like their joy, it's, it's, their thankfulness uh, is, is based on circumstances. But even more so, good things they selfishly think they, uh, they deserve. They don't give God thanks for the good things. And of course, in the bad times, they blame God for whatever bad circumstances come, come their way. You know, ultimately, their stony hearts are cold towards God. Now, do we, as believers, if, you, if we are in Christ, do we rejoice always? Do we pray unceasingly? Do we give thanks in everything perfectly? No. No, we, we don't. Um, do we like... James says, consider it all joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. Well, we, may, we may recognize the words, but in practice, it's very difficult to do that consistently, don't we find? You know, we, we find ourselves distracted by worldly concerns, um, but true Christians aren't trapped in sin. We're not trapped in the darkness like we once were when we were not in Christ. You know, once God graciously regenerates us, then he gives us a new nature, right? He, he changes our behaviors. He changes our desires. As we grow in spiritual maturity, our rejoicing, our prayers, our thankfulness, they still acknowledge our circumstances. They still, you know, have some kind of grounding in our circumstances. But they radiate more and more kind of gospel and God-centered perspective, right? Instead of being solely at the, focused on the world, they, they, kick, they kick up, they're ratcheted up where we still acknowledge the things that are going on around us, but the focus is not on the world. 
The focus is, is, is on the Lord, is on basically this eternal perspective. Joy, you know, which again is a fruit of the Spirit, which is what believers will demonstrate is evident in our lives. You know, we increasingly pray and petition our Heavenly Father more in all circumstances, not just when things are going rough and, oh God, please help me get me out of this problem, but, but also in the good times, in actual gen, genuine thankfulness. Lord, I don't deserve the wife that I have. I don't deserve the good things, the blessings in my life. You know, we, we expect God's providential hand in our lives. We look for it, and we're increasingly thankful for any experience, both good and bad, that he sends our way. You know, the contrast that Paul strikes in Philippians 3, 7 to 11. Let's turn there, Philippians 3, 7 to 11. That's what will increasingly resonate uh, as, as we grow in, in sanctification and, and our, our holiness. So in this passage, Paul states, again, Philippians 3, 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I, ha I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. He's just identified that, hey, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. I was basically the pinnacle of Pharisees. That was significant gain in Judaism. In his time, he was kind of top dog in the religious world, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ, he says. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So, so Paul clearly indicates what he does and doesn't actually rejoice in, what he does and doesn't found his life on. Where is his focus in this passage? The things of the world are counted as rubbish in verse 9 in contrast to the being found in Christ. You know, he's, he's okay with suffering the loss of all his worldly things. Again, his, his status as the Hebrew of Hebrews, as, as a Pharisee, it was, though it was worth losing to be found in him, in Christ. The bad times. Being conformed to Christ's death in order to gain eternal life. That's, that is even being persecuted for Christ and eventually martyred for the faith. That was something that Paul actually rejoiced in. He looked past the pain. Again, his focus acknowledged it, but was the gain that he's going to get. Glorification at the end was really what he was aiming at. And he, just like all the other apostles, except for John, all of them died violent deaths. For the sake of Christ. And of course, we see throughout church history many, many thousands of examples uh, of this. You know, today we live in a fallen world. Throughout all of human history, except for a very short time, we live in a fallen world. And, and 
Even today, we live in the most prosperous society in the history of the world. Yet even now, we look around and we know that, things, that the world is filled with sin. Uh, it's filled with trouble. Um, in light of all the issues and the problems and the viruses and you know, financial concerns that we have, how do we look around and actually rejoice always? How do we pray without ceasing? How is it that we actually can be thankful in everything? Um, so so I'll, I'll make some recommendations here as we, as we look at, at, at the application of, of this verse or these verses. I think first we start by remembering that God is sovereign and, again and, and, and he providentially guides every single aspect of our lives. In fact, every single aspect of, of heaven and earth. Um, and he's the one that's worth us rejoicing in. We remember that whether good or bad, the circumstances in our individual lives and then corporately as well um, are allowed by God. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Again, that's believers, right? This does not apply to unbelievers. You know, rather than dwelling on our circumstances, rather than dwelling on the things themselves, we look at this verse and we see that, you know, we really should be aiming up a little. Let's, let's consider God and his purposes, right? The circumstances happen and he drives those circumstances, but let's aim at the more important thing, which is, which is God and his, his purpose. You know, according to the next verse, Romans 8, 29, it identifies that purpose. And it's good and it's specific. You know, God's, again, again, it's, what's our focus here? Our, God's purpose isn't, you know, for our earthly lives so that we can live our best life now, so that we can, you know, save now and get financial peace later or escape difficult situations. It's so that we become conformed to the image of his son. Which, in a nutshell, is our sanctification. Growing in holiness, growing in Christ-likeness. So a, a couple of examples on maybe, you know, one day-to-day -day example of, of rejoicing, uh, always praying without ceasing or continually or in every circumstance or being thankful um, in everything. Um, the day-to-day -day one is something that we actually had to deal with a couple days ago, right? Um, you know, we have... Uh, we ha had a 14-year-old greyhound. And uh, on Friday afternoon, we put him down. We'd had him for about 12 years. And, you know, in, in, in light of this situation, it's providential that I was prepping to teach on this, right? Because it was very helpful. What do we rejoice in with Phoenix, our 14-year-old greyhound? Well, we rejoice in the fact that God creates pets for us to enjoy, that we get to see his creative beauty in these animals that are nice to look at, that are relatable to us, that provide us some enjoyment um, while they're here with us. We rejoice in the fact that 
we aren't dogs. That when we die, we don't just end, right? That we have a soul, that we are made in the image of God, and that we can be saved, and that God does save us. We're thankful, again, that we have the opportunities to deal with difficult circumstances that drive us into prayer, and it was not an emergency situation that d- drove us to put him down. So there was some ambiguity, and it was a rather kind of difficult decision on when it is that we put the dog down. But it helps us remember that we pray to God for wisdom, that we pray and thank God for various trials, even relatively benign everyday trials, kind of like this one. We're thankful that we, as believers, can walk our son, our five-year-old son, through what it means, what's the difference between life and death. Seth was actually in there with me as they put the dog down. He, He wanted to go, and I thought that it was a good idea to take him and talk to him about death. Talk to him about, we aren't dogs, right? Where does the dog go? Where do we go, right? He already knows a lot of this stuff because we are diligent in teaching him uh, the Bible. But, but we're thankful for the opportunity to, uh, to be able to teach Seth this in, in a unique situation. And so I think, you know, I, I, I found it a source, even though, again, even though it's a difficult situation, we're able to look past it and use the opportunity. Thankful for the fact that we recognize opportunities to where we can glorify God with our son amongst ourselves in dealing with these types of circumstances. I'll talk about a more significant example, if you will. And this one's from church history. Um, I don't know how many of you have read Fox's book of martyrs. Uh, If you haven't, I highly recommend it. It provides just fantastic perspective on the difficulties experienced by our predecessors in faith. That many, many people died to bring us the Bible in our own language, to bring us the faith and to live it out, and, and Fox's is a wonderful reference that we can use to, to understand uh, what persecution actually looks like. In 1540, there were two men that were apprehend, apprehended in England by the Catholic authorities. Uh, the, the Catholics were, were then in charge of the country. It was shortly after the Reformation had spread into England, and, and so there was severe persecution for people who did not agree with the Catholic faith, that they were actually had, had, uh, had gotten the Bible in English and were, were, were reading it. And in fact, many people were killed simply from the fact of owning a Bible in English. And so Jerome Russell and Alexander Kennedy, Kennedy was a youth of about 18 years old, uh, were, were arrested and handed over uh, after after they they uh, faced a, a trial with the uh, the Catholic Archbishop, so I'll, I'll read a little bit about their account. These two persons, after being some time confined in prison, were brought before the Archbishop for examination. In the course of which Russell, being a very sensible man, reasoned learnedly against his accusers. 
while they in return made use of very scornful language. The examination being over and both of them deemed heretics, the archbishop pronounced the dreadful sentence of death and they were immediately delivered over to the secular power in order for execution. The next day they were led to the place appointed for them to suffer. In their way to which Russell, seeing his fellow sufferer having the appearance of timidity in his countenance, thus addressed him. Brother, fear not, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The pain that we are to suffer is short and shall be light, but our joy and consolation shall never have an end. Let us therefore strive to enter our, into our master and savior's joy by the same straight way which he has taken before us. Death cannot hurt us for it is already destroyed by him for whose sake we are now going to suffer. When they arrived at the fatal spot, they both kneeled down and prayed for some time. After which being fastened to the state, the wood lit, they cheerfully resigned their souls into the hands of him who gave them in hopes of an everlasting reward in the heavenly mansions. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Be thankful. Acknowledging the reality of our situation, but also the supreme joy at what awaits us beyond death in glorification. In the address in Russell, he, he talked about the pain that we are able, we are to suffer is going to be short. Shall be light, but our joy and consolation shall never have an end. Death cannot hurt us, for it is already destroyed by him for whose sake we are now going to suffer. Right? You see the echoes, they're repeating Paul in their sentiment. You know, so, so in addition to understanding that God sovereignly works all things for good, for those who love him, as these men did, we also have to know the Bible in order to rightly know God's commandments. That includes knowing how to rightly praise God, knowing his promises well enough to rightly thank the, him for them and recall them. Russell quoted passages from across the New Testament in what I just read you. He quoted out of Matthew. He quoted out of 1 and 2 Corinthians. He quoted out of 1 John as he encouraged his, his friend, the 18-year-old friend who willingly died for Christ. He used God's own words to express joy and even thankfulness as they faced being burnt at the stake. Um, what do you think that showed the witnesses that were looking on? Right? He, he proclaimed the gospel. He used scripture. And then they submitted themselves rejoicing with prayer, thankful that they had the opportunity to die for Christ. You know, it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. You know, do we? Got it? I understand that if we're called to account that the, the scripture says that, you know, we aren't to worry about what we're going to say. But do we have enough scripture in our heads to give the Holy Spirit something to work with? 
if we were in that situation, would we have enough scripture to encourage and exhort those around us? Would we have, do we have enough scripture in our minds and in our hearts for this to actually have an impact so that we rejoice always and we're thankful in every circumstance? As as we're we're kind of as I'm kind of wrapping it up here, I want to want to focus on prayer. You know, praying without ceasing. That means just being in a. It's not stopping whatever you're doing and, and always praying, but it's just being in a uh, in in a state of mind that you, in every circumstance, remember to pray. Thanksgiving petition. You you remember again. Your focus is include it. It you see the world around you, but you're looking at the God who sovereignly controls everything. It said that Russell and Kennedy, they prayed for some time. What do you think that they were praying about? Probably wasn't grandma's cough. It was probably things that involved their souls, other people's souls. Maybe that their obedience through this persecution wouldn't be in vain. Maybe that it would encourage other people to persevere and remain steadfast in persecution that they might face. And nearly 500 years later, we're reading about them and we're encouraged. And their prayers actually meant something. This is adding to their account, if you will, because of their perseverance and their example to those of us who come after them. Do you know that we're saved to pray? We're saved unto good works and prayer. Prayer is part of that. Um, I want to read out of this book. It's, it's a gospel primer for Christians. It's by a, a man named Milton Vincent. We've actually got him out there on the, um, the resource area. But in this, he, he writes about being chosen for prayer. When God chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world, he did not merely choose me to be holy and blameless. He chose me to be before him in love, to be sure I am always in God's presence on earth, and in heaven I will be in his presence more fully than ever. But it could also be said that in this life I am especially before him in love. When I, become, when I come before him in prayer and worship. Therefore, I can infer that prayer is not simply something I am allowed to do as a Christian. Prayer is actually one of the great purposes for which God chose to save me. Christ himself confirms this in the fact, this fact when he makes the following statement to his disciples. I chose you that whatever you ask of the Father in my name he may give to you. As a chosen one of God, I was saved to pray. And whenever I come into God's presence to behold him, to worship him or make request of him, I am arriving at the pinnacle of God's saving purposes for me. God is radically committed to my life of prayer. He shed the blood of his son so that I might be cleansed and rendered fit to stand before him in love. He also permitted the brutal rending of his son so that I might now have a way into the holy place through the torn flesh of Jesus. 
Draw near, he says in Hebrews 4. Draw near, he says in Hebrews 10. Pray without ceasing, he urges elsewhere. And of course, we know that's 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. How can I not feel the infinite sincerity of these invitations, especially when considering the painful lengths that God endured so that I might enter his presence in prayer? Indeed, the gospel itself serves as the sweetest of invitations to pray, and preaching it to myself each day nurtures within me a mighty impulse to come before God in love and, doing, do, and do the praying I was elected to do. When I read that, we actually read this as, I think it was the first book in our, um, the, the study kind of group that, that we have. And uh, that, that was one of the more striking sections of the book to me. Uh, but that's the right perspective that we should have on, on prayer. That, that we are to pray as if it actually matters. Ephesians 6, verses 18 to 19, Paul writes, he's just finished talking about putting on the full armor of God, right? So that these, again, these people can stand firm and they can do something useful uh, for, for the kingdom of Lord, the kingdom of God. And in verse 18, immediately following the end of the, uh, the armor of God, he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. We're armed with the full armor of God to serve an important purpose. We're elected to pray. We stand firm and we pray for one another's spiritual growth and perseverance. Again, being on the alert, praying at all times for others, petitioning for all the saints. We pray for the spread of the gospel. Pray on Paul's behalf that he, he asked them so that he can further the gospel. You know, health issues and financial concerns, they're important, right? Again, they're things that we have to deal with and things that, we, that, that affect our lives, um, but they're not the most important subjects for prayer. You know, it seems that we often neglect, we pray for those, but neglect the, the most important part of ourselves and other people, which is, which is the soul, right? The eternal part of ourselves. Um, you know, so I ask that we, we think about that. Let's commit to praying more for the spiritual, the eternal side uh, of ourselves and, 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 and gospel concerns um, along with that. You know, we, we pray for the temporal stuff, but how often do we actually pray for wisdom and discernment? How often do we pray for our and other people's sanctification, growing in holiness, not worldly success and, and comfort, but, but sanctification, even if that means that afflictions Right, Thomas Watson say, the worst, the worst God can do is whip us to heaven with affliction. Right, so, so again, the focus. Let's let's shift the focus up. Let's pull it up. Let's pray that our church body might mature spiritually. Right, 
pray for the corporate uh, church. Pray that we might grow increasingly devoted to Christ and one another. That we might actually live at peace with one another. You know, let's... Going back to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, let's pray that we rejoice always. Let's, again, pray continually in every circumstance. Let's understand that only true Christians are truly thankful in everything and ask God to help us be thankful for the circumstances and the opportunities that he gives us because we know that that's God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Again, if you just look at the words in those verses, always, without ceasing, everything, that should pull our focus up out of the world because nothing in this world is always without ceasing and everything. Right? We talked about in the, when we talked about sanctification, um, aiming at doing the things that we're going to do in eternity. Well, these three things are what we're actually going to be engaged in in eternity. We will be rejoicing always if you're in heaven, if you're in glory with the Lord. Communication is going to look a little bit different than prayer, but you're going to be in constant communication without, communication without ceasing <laughs> with the King of kings and the Lord of lords in glory. And then, of course, we are going to be, we're going to have a superabundance of thankfulness in glory. So why don't we try and start cultivating those attitudes now? Why don't we start trying to obey this, these commands better now? That's good. That's our, that should be our desire. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we love you and we, we come to you just humble in the fact that we, we cannot perform these perfectly in this life, but Lord, we know that we ought to. We look forward to the, the day that we will be able to perform these commands perfectly. Lord, we thank you for your word and for the examples of faithfulness that we see in the apostles, uh, well, across the, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, Psalm 92 and Psalm 9 and a whole host of other passages come to mind. And Lord, we just, we thank you for, for church history and for what we see in, in these martyrs like we read about. We thank you for the everyday occurrences, Lord, that uh, you used to grow us in godliness and sanctification. We ask that you, you continue to, to help us to see the opportunities that we have to be thankful, to rejoice in the Lord always, and that our prayers are important, that we were saved unto good works and prayer. Lord, help us be more prayerful. Help, us our, help our focus be, be more on you and less on the things of the world. And guide us and direct us this week. Again, Lord, be with Jeremy as he preaches this morning. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
We are glad you joined us today. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's podcast, send us a message on Facebook. Email us at info at eastmemorial.org or call our church office at 334-365-7500. Thanks for listening.